Hello, and welcome to An Unknown Adventure. I'm your host, Kimberly Ann. My goal is to encourage people who want to live their lifelong dreams by looking at wins as well as failures in order to motivate you toward achieving your goals. I do this by talking to entrepreneurs, people who are pushing against societal norms, digital nomads, and anyone living an unconventional life. If you would be so kind as to do one thing for this podcast, which is solely my passion project, I'd be over the moon if you could eke out the time to review it, give it five stars on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on, or share it with someone in your life who will benefit from listening. These are the ways to make it visible to more people, and I am grateful for all of your support. And now, on to the show. Today, we're here with Rebecca Blair from Australia. And Rebecca, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I am from Queensland in Australia. So that's a really warm part of Australia, a little bit tropical, very humid, and a lot of rain in the evenings. I'm an ex-lawyer turned career coach, and I'm an ex-consumptionist turned minimalist. I'm also a mum to a toddler, and I lead the Brisbane Minimalist group here in Brisbane, Queensland. Okay. And so can you tell us the story of what made you stop being a lawyer and what made you stop being a consumer? Yeah, absolutely. So it all boils down to falling pregnant. And at that time I was living in this cold city in Australia and for forever we had complained about the cold. And it was like this snap decision of we either need to love our life here or we just need to move. So at eight months pregnant, we moved and we moved up to the warmth and in the cold place, Canberra, it was very much status driven. We had all the stuff we'd built, like an enormous house. We both had really good careers. We were chasing all of the status, all of the things, everything that made us look really significant amongst our friends, our peers. So when we moved up to Brisbane, we had to downsize because that was what was available. So it was like, oh, we're moving into a smaller house. People are going to judge us because we have a small house. It was about half the size and all of our furniture came with us and our house was completely overstuffed. And for those who have kids and have done the newborn phase, that is, is not a good time to be absolutely cluttering your life and having so much stuff around you. So I guess I say that I unintentionally threw myself into a clutter experiment where everything was like the house was just piled around me and so my my daughter did not sleep as a newborn she would wake like 30 times a night adding all this stuff which I now know clutter creates mental health like issues it, it really exacerbates them it was a really tough period of my life where I wanted to be with my daughter. I wanted to sleep, but I had so much around me that was cluttering my brain, stopping me from sleeping and also stopping me from spending that time with my daughter. So it's just a massive pressure cooker. And then I started looking at our finances while I was on leave and realized, wow, we're burning through our savings. We were still buying all of the things, even though we'd gone down to one income and it looked like I was going to have to go back to work early to pay for all the stuff we were buying that we didn't care about. So it was a a massive smack in the face for me 
and we just realized, okay, something's really got to change. And that's when I started being intentional with our spending and then started removing items from our house. And it's just like the more debt we cleared, the more stuff we removed, it was like life became freer. We became lighter. My mental health was better. And it just put our family on a completely different trajectory. And how long ago was that? So my daughter is three and a half. So it would have been three years ago that it all started. And how long did it take? So we started clearing our debt and also our stuff in March 2018. 18 months later, we were debt free because we sold our investment property and cleared our other two debts as well. And in August of 2018, we moved into a two-bedroom apartment. So we got rid of 70% of our staff between March and August. Wow. Yeah. So we went from huge Canberra-like house that my husband and I physically built ourselves because he's a builder to two-bedroom apartment, no garage. It was just, yeah, from one extreme to the next. And we really found ourselves in that apartment because we had so much space to think not space to move, but space to actually think and identify with who actually were we? What did we value that wasn't expensive cars? Because we no longer cared about those things. And how did your friends react? It was easier for us in that we'd moved interstate. So we had to start from scratch, but all of our old friends just did not understand at all. Like what has happened to Mark and Rebecca? What, like they've gone extreme hippie or something. They didn't understand that we were living a more simple life and we made new friends in Brisbane. We actually went to our local minimalist.org group and met some minimalists there and they really showed us how they were living was just completely different to the norm and it gave us permission to look at our lives and be like, well, what is it that we actually want with our lives? What do we want to do? We could do whatever we want to do. But all of the friends we were hanging out with previous to that, we all do this similar thing, like you don't go outside the norm. So it was just like a period of complete change in every area. And do you don't talk to those old friends at all anymore? No, we still catch up. When like COVID, we haven't caught up with them for over a year now because we haven't been able to travel interstate. We're we're due to see them this month. So it's going to be interesting because we do live, yeah, a very different life now. And are they more accepting now or are they, uh? I, I think at the beginning, they thought it was going to be a phase that would just end and now they realize it's not a phase and they can see the personal growth with Mark and I. Mark is now writing fiction post-apocalyptic novels and they're just amazed by what he has achieved and I've started my own business so they're amazed at what I've achieved. So we have become what I term expanders. So my minimalist group was my were my expanders in showing me that a different way of life is possible. We've become out friends expanders by showing them what we moved and we set up our lives so differently and it can work. So yeah, they're amazed at what we're doing now and they can see that the move was such a good idea for us. And have any of them followed suit? Yeah, yeah. They like to, whenever someone's decluttering, I always get a text that said, look at what I'm getting rid of. But the beauty for me is what comes after the decluttering, which is the life redesign of knowing who you are and then designing your life accordingly. And can you expand on that? So for us, our journey, once you get rid of the physical stuff that's weighing you down and also the stress of debt, it gives your mind the space to really 
think about who you are. You don't have, our minds are so busy all the time. And when you're not running from one activity to the next, or as soon as you get home, it's like, I have a zillion things on my to-do list. Give yourself the space to just consider what your values are. And that's the natural path. I started with my staff and intentionally what was around me. Then I looked at my relationships. Were those people adding value? How did I feel about myself when I spent time with them? Did I really enjoy their company? Did I come away drained or did I come away energized? And then also my looked at my career. Does my career align with who I am? Is it giving to my family life or is it taking away? And I had been working with the police and that was at a pretty significant mental cost and cost to my family. Like I was going to a lot of deaths, knowing about a lot of the worst things that happen. And that was really tainting my view of society. I was also diagnosed with PTSD while I worked there. That career was not conducive to my health. So I was able to identify that and and work out what do I really want to do in life, which was I love coaching people and I love helping people make transitions in their life. And I now coach men to make career transitions. And why did you focus on men? I naturally have always... Like men have gravitated towards me as a safe space. They may not be comfortable talking to a psychologist. A lot of the men I focus on, they're the high stress industries of high suicide, where particularly like in the police force or the military, they're stuck in a really tough position. And they, if they go to a psychologist, so often that just reduces their ability to work. It's a massive red flag that goes up within the organization. So they need somebody that they can talk to that, isn't writing a report that isn't going to affect their work immediately. And they they needed to talk to somebody to look at, okay, in five years time or in a year's time, I think I'm going to need to pull the pin on what I'm doing because it's starting to affect me. How do I best place myself to make that change? So I work with them to simplify their life, like using the minimalist principles to simplify their finances and the stuff around them, give them the space to really think, Do I want to leave this organization? What do I actually want to do with my life? What is going to give me the best outcomes for myself and my family? And I found for men, it's just, I do coach women as well, but I focus on men. For men, there's so much status and identity caught up in their career, much more so than women. So it's an even harder space for them to be able to talk about and to consider. And especially if you've got a young family, it's so often the woman who works part-time and the man is carrying the the biggest financial load. So I find that's where the really high rates of stress and unfortunately the high rates of suicide. Wow. Yeah, it's very powerful work. And so often they feel trapped and then you can get a little crack of light in there and then open it up and they go, okay, actually I'm not trapped. I have options and options are, it's just so important, especially if you've got PTSD or depression, anxiety or you're feeling utterly stressed at work, just knowing you've got options is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so how did you leave? Like, how did you stop being a lawyer? Did you just quit? I went back to a different job and it was a job where I realized I was exchanging my life for money. I really did not love it, was not passionate about it would sit there calculating how much I'm earning per second to will myself to stay there. And then what was my out was we had booked a seven-month trip to Canada, leaving June last year. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So we've finally booked, like, talk about don't put off things. 
we had finally booked in this trip of a lifetime to Canada that we were going to work over there and, and just I'd be tourists for seven months. And of course that got cancelled. So then my out um, of that job that I hated just vanished. So I moved into another criminal law position and found myself reading a lot of coronial reports of children who had been abused and had died. And at that point it was like, Rebecca, you need to listen. This is not conducive to your mental health. You have a toddler at home. You need to listen. You need to get out. So before that, I'd already started studying to become a coach. I got my qualifications and my husband just said, you just need to do it. Like You're made to do this. You just need to do it. So I left and started my business. Wow. And how long ago? So that was not that long ago. No. So I started, so I got my qualifications almost two years ago and I started my business last year. And how's it going? Yeah, it's, I love it so much. I say to people, I don't dread any days of the week. I love every single day. And I feel so incredibly lucky that I've been able to do this. I'm blessed to be in a position that I can now help others who are in a situation like I was mm-hmm. to transition out because PTSD almost cost me my life when my daughter was a toddler, like when my daughter was a newborn and there are so many others in my situation yeah. that I can help and so how did you overcome your PTSD and there was a lot of appointments with psychologists but I actually found that by being really careful with what I surrounded myself with and not having as much stuff because that overwhelms your brain. So PTSD, particularly at the end of the day, you've literally just got fight or flight left. So if I can not overwhelm myself, not overload myself during the day, it makes it a lot easier for me to manage. Yeah, and seeking the help of professionals. And now that I work for myself, I have time every morning to exercise and that's huge. So I now have all these self-care practices in place because I have the space and the time to do so. Mm-hmm. Whereas so many people that we get up rush, eat breakfast, go to work, come home, quickly eat dinner, maybe sit on the couch, watch Netflix and go to bed and do it all again. Mm -hmm. There's no time in there for the brain to heal, for you to heal and to know what improves your mental health and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what were your challenges? Along the way? Yeah. Probably so many. In terms of starting up the business, there's the the self-doubt of, can I actually do this? I absolutely had very low confidence when you're trying to build up your status, your worthiness by stuff that is just shows that you don't feel worthy in yourself. So it's been creating, actually valuing myself over that time that probably made the hugest difference. The minimalist recent documentary, Less Is Now, talks about that so many people consume stuff because they don't have that greater sense of worth. They don't have a sense of community. They don't have a sense of identity. We've lost that in our in our society, we don't really connect to the community around us. We don't have an identity apart from our nine to five job. And so we we feel that void with stuff. And I feel like now I'm on the other end where I really connect with the community. I have a sense of identity. I know exactly who I am. So the other stuff is just the consumer stuff has fallen away. And the community, is it the community that you've built or the community, like, because you said you started one as well. So I'm, I lead the minimalist Brisbane community. So there's minimalist groups in most that well in cities all over the world and you can join them. So they're set up. I'm currently the Brisbane leader. We've got about 700 people in there and we do face-to-face meetups each month. And it's amazing that we, we meet in our like park area and we, we sit around and chat and everyone walks past and is, what are they doing? 
they're just sitting there chatting to each other. And we'll be there for two, three, four hours just chatting to each other, no phones. And it is just bizarre to everyone that walks past because we don't have that face-to-face community in Australia. It's so rare that we were just a group of people with similar interests would just catch up and just chat. We have different topics each month. So the last one we would we talked about being intentional with your time. But we might talk about a digital detox or being intentional with your finances, being intentional with your food. Decluttering does come up or around Christmas we talk about gift giving. It best gives what can you give and the challenges that we might have with our family who have different values about consumer items. Children might get a lot of like plastic toys. So we, yeah, we chat about like how to manage those, how to set expectations about what to buy and what to give. We vote every month on what we want to talk about. That's cool. And then how do people find that like in their community? So there is on the minimalist.org website, there is a link that says find a group near you and it will list all of the cities that the minimalist groups are currently in. Okay. I think Unfortunately, with COVID, that has knocked out a lot of the in-person meetups. I'm really fortunate in Brisbane in that COVID really hasn't been much of a thing at all and when we're still able to catch up. Sydney and Melbourne have been hit worse than us and Melbourne particularly was in lockdowns for a lot of last year, but Brisbane hasn't really. We've had a couple of little ones, but we've been very lucky. Not like the US. No, it's awful. Really tough time. And we're restricted to travel at the moment, but that's our biggest gripe and it's a time where people are losing their community around them because they can't physically see them and that's where you see you know your high rates of suicide depression anxiety everything go up and yeah it's really tough yeah yeah and here we're losing our jobs and yeah which is your only sense of identity for so many people that (laughs) left right so then they don't have anything else that they identify themselves because they've been so busy doing that or shopping on the weekends that they don't oh, I'm really passionate about writing books I'm really passionate about creating art yeah well a lot and of I people think, don't have those yeah but I, I think that some people are finding their passions yeah. hopefully like maybe somebody always wanted to ride horses but they never had the time so now they get to do that or dance or not that you can go out dancing dance in their living room whatever <laughs> learn how to hula hoop yeah. I don't know <laughs> Yeah. And you're so right because people now have the the time to do it. And minimalism is a tool to give you time and space to do those things without right. the COVID lockdown. Which is way better. We'd, we'd much rather have that. Yeah. <laughs> I did interview another woman who's a minimalist and she talked a little bit about her child and how she manages that around her child. And so how do you do that? With my daughter, we very much involve her in our conversations. We don't ever make her get rid of any of her toys. It's always her choice. So what tends to work best for her is if she is donating it to somebody younger, she's very empathetic. So I'm not playing with this anymore. I'm happy for someone, for another little girl to have it. But very careful about not just taking her stuff, even when it just gets too extreme, like too much for us. She needs to have that control. I want to keep her a minimalist if I can, if it resonates with her for as long as possible so that she really knows who she is. And and so I'm always trying to find that balance and keep that balance in check. I think, 
yeah, she does very much value her stuff compared to her peers. You know, she looks after her stuff very well. She would never just drop a toy out in public and not pick it up. She, she loves her stuff. The things that she has, she really treasures and we, we don't give her much. So it's really nice to see her really take care of her things. And then do you have a specific ritual for when you're done playing with them? They go in this area so they're not cluttering. Yeah, so she, she, she puts like away her toys as she goes throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And how old is she? She's three and a half. almost three and a half. Yeah. 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 So that's great for three and a half. Yeah. The pack up is she got out all of her toys. It really doesn't take long to pack it up again. It's cute. And then what do you do for her on her birthdays and, and holidays, like Christmas? So we really encourage like others to give her experiences. So with her grandparents, we really love it when they, okay, today we're going to take you on an adventure out and they spend the day really connecting with her. So it's that rather than stuff, it's the let's go and have an experience together. Let's go create a memory that we're going to remember in, in 20 years time. Let's have that really special day. So we really encourage that. And with the toys, we go open-ended toys as a opposed to your fixed battery operated toys. And we've just started with pocket money with her. And so currently we would go into the shops and she wants everything. So she's yeah. starting to have those negotiations with herself of I have this much pocket money, I could buy a, a little thing or I could wait and get the bigger thing that I really want. So it's going to be like teaching her a lot of the, to make those money mistakes really young you know, if I buy that little toy, maybe that I like, that I just want, then I have to wait even longer for the thing I really want. Yeah. So it's going to, it's interesting watching her navigate that and be, and let her be really disappointed that she can't afford it. And and to think of, when now she is thinking of, okay, maybe I can, there's a toy that I don't use so much. I could sell that and get an extra few dollars so I can buy that thing I really want quicker. So she's starting to then assess the toys that she has, how much value they have to her, how much she still plays with them. And maybe she could sell them secondhand or she could buy something secondhand. So it's it's really important money learning that she's doing at the moment. Yeah. And do you make her earn the pocket money or are you just like giving her a certain amount a week or whatever? So there's chores that she does as part of being a member of the family that she's expected. And there's some extra ones that she's to be like, yeah, I'll do those. And she collects bottles and we recycle them, which they come with 10 cents refund scheme here. So she can earn extra money doing that. That's so cute. I I think like for, for me, I didn't really grow up making those money mistakes. So, you know, better for her to make them at three, four, five, than to be making them in her these forties and making them with much bigger amounts of money than just a couple of dollars. Totally. No, it makes perfect sense. I think that's awesome. I wish my my parents were pretty good at teaching me about money, but that's even better. What you're doing is even better and younger, starting younger. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a finance expert over here called Scott Pape and he has like a money strategy for children and it includes those things in it. And also them being able to, by the time they leave home, have five recipes that are really cheap to make and so that they're, before they're even leaving home, they're going to the shops, buying all the ingredients, coming home, making it to really set them up in all the different ways financially for when they leave home. Wow. That's awesome. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. That's amazing. Yeah. It's really powerful for kids. That is super cool. Wow. So when you left your jobs, were you friends with your coworkers and how did they react to your, to the change? With the 
police organization that's very much almost like you're in or you're out. And as soon as you're out, all of the community around you disappears, which is one of the big issues, particularly for men leaving. They might leave because they have PTSD and suddenly their identity is gone and their community is gone because those organizations are so community driven. So that was very much you're in, you're out. And I rebuilt over from there. My most recent jobs, they understood that my passion was in coaching and I was just taking the leap to go for it. It was really hard on my boss because she could see a lot of herself in me and it brought up her own regrets for working too much when her children were little. So I work from home now. So I get to see my daughter throughout the day because she's looked after by my mom in my house. So I can just pop down and see her whenever I want. So for her, it was really hard because she was like, I didn't do that with my kids. And I absolutely should have done that with my kids. I really missed out. So it was that regret. I triggered that regret within her. But everyone was really excited for me. Yeah, that's got to be hard. Hindsight, looking back. and But she might not have had the opportunity back then. You yeah. Know? And now it's we're doing Zoom stuff and there's more people coaching and it's more acceptable. It's, I don't want to say easier, but there's more tools and stuff to do it. And back then, I don't know how old her kids are now, but even 10 years ago, there weren't. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The tools now completely support you being able to work remotely. Yeah. So I hope she doesn't beat herself up about it too much. We could all say that. We all have regrets. I think that most people, not everybody, but. (laughs) Yeah. And that's certainly something that I've seen a shift in myself is if I died tomorrow, I know that I pursued absolutely what I wanted to do with my life. I would have no regrets, which before working in the job that I hated, that I felt was just exchanging my life for a paycheck. I didn't go after the thing that I wanted to do because I was afraid of failure. Right. And do you miss being a lawyer? You don't miss it at all? No, not at all. No. And did you keep, are you like you keeping your, your law degree or not degree, but you have to be licensed? Yeah. So I'm happy to give that all up. I never really wanted to go into law. So I was really book smart at school, got really good grades. And because I got really good grades, it was, well, you got those grades, you have to go into law. You've got to do something with those that's worthy of the grades. So I was channeled into law. And then I did psychology as more of because I was interested in that and followed the law path, went and got first class law honors, got my practicing certificate, And then I went into Australia's public service because in my town, that was what it was expected. Everyone from uni goes into the public service. That's where the good money is. So it was very much just channeled into it. And then I just didn't, I didn't like it. I was good at it, but it wasn't at all what I wanted to do. And I had, you know, wished that somebody had grabbed me back when I was in high school and what do you actually want to do? What are you interested in? I think my parents are of the generation that you just need financial security. It doesn't matter what you do. It needs to be high paying. Go do that, be secure, and then you'll be happy. It didn't work for me. And how do they feel now with everything that you're doing? Uh, I think it was, it's stressful for them, but they can really see the change in me. And then I'm really excited about what I'm doing. And we're financially secure. We're middleless, so we don't spend that much money anyway. So it's perfectly fine that I'm not earning the huge money that I was on before because we don't I don't need all those extra things the value for me the excitement for me comes from the work that I do yeah and your mom's looking after your your toddler so she's semi-supportive at least and did you was she living where you guys moved already was your family yeah 
Yeah, so they were already here and we were in Canberra. So we moved up to be closer to them and to the warmth. And you like the warmth? I, l- I love the warmth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I felt pregnant, my mom was really excited and then also really sad that she lived so far away. So I remember the day that we got to call her and tell her we were moving because my husband had put out feelers with his work for a transfer in the next 48 months. And the boss that he spoke to said, oh, the Brisbane guy quit today. Do you want that job? So we we made this decision to move and then straight away, oh, how quickly can you move to Brisbane? Oh, okay. I guess we'll start packing the house. You just make a decision and just the universe just enables it to happen. So I got to FaceTime my mom and say, oh, my husband got promoted and yeah, he's going to be working in Eagle Farm and they're just silent. And my dad's, isn't that in Brisbane? Like, yes. It, 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 they were just over the moon. And Aww. my mum texted me later to say she spilt a whole glass of red wine through her clean washing basket. Did not even care. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I bet that. How many hours? What's the time driving between where you were and where you are? It is about 14 hours drive. Oh, wow. No, that's far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't. We're, we're about to embark on a road trip there with my toddler. I'm a little bit worried about it, but it, it's far. Yeah. But no, it, you're going to stay somewhere. You're going to stop a couple t- nights. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll stop along the way. <laughs> I was not expecting that. I don't really know anything about Australia. So I'm like, in my head, it's really small. <laughs> no. no, no. And, and that's, not, that's not even that far in Australia, the 14 hours between two cities. Wow. Mm. What is far in Australia? So we once drove from Melbourne to my hometown, which was Geraldton on the West Coast. So the East Coast, the West Coast. And it took us five days of drive, sleep, drive, sleep, drive, sleep. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's far. Yeah. Yeah. And that's still not even driving around the whole thing. That's like maybe a third. Wow. Okay. I have to look at a map. I feel like an idiot now. (laughs) (laughs) I, whenever I feel like an idiot, I'm just like American, <laughs> not that all Americans are dumb. A good portion of us are. <laughs> well, we just assume that everything else is really far overseas. Just how many days is it going to take me from that city to that city in America? I should probably allow a couple of days. Right. It's like, oh, it's an hour flight. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some things like the East coast to the West coast here is that's several days. Yeah. If you're just drive, sleep, drive, sleep. Not that I've done it yet. So I don't actually know for sure, but I've heard like four days. So I was wondering also about screens and digital clutter and all that. And is your daughter like, does she use screens? Does she watch TV? Like, how do you guys manage that in your life? So she watches TV every now and again. So she would sit down and watch a movie. She doesn't watch any guess your TV shows like kids cartoons or anything like that and we often would have a no TV month within our house because I think it gives us a really good reset and during that month we bank up oh I really want to see this documentary oh this TV series has been released so we have a list of things that we really intentionally want to watch we do one month of watching some TV the next month no TV and so forth so we don't end up watching anything that is just for the sake of it because we have that time to think about it. And we found that to be really good for our productivity and just connecting in the night. Like we'll sit down and play games together instead of sitting down and watching TV. A lot better for our energy levels as well. 
So my daughter does the new TV months with us and then she'll get to watch for a TV month. She might watch one movie a week and we'll sit down with her and watch it. We don't have an iPad or anything for her, so I'm a little bit worried about the car trip because I know that's so good for kids to be able to sit down and watch a movie, especially there's going to be some days that we're doing six hours in the car. Um, a little bit worried about how I told this going to go with that. But yeah, but we will see. <laughs> there was no iPad when I was her age. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And we drove hours and out. We we did a ton of driving trips and we did driving games. Mm-hmm. So we did the, yeah. I don't know, there were like license plate games where you would, I can't remember what they were. I'm sure you can look some up. We did like little games we had this thing that they don't doesn't even exist anymore called a high sign that had like little words on it hi bye and we'd hold it up to the other cars like to interact oh, cool. yeah now maybe dangerous i don't know like maybe they would get in an accident i don't know but yeah there would be like a blank page where you could write whatever you wanted and then we colored we had mad libs where i was really into those or whatever like kids books there were yeah. no screens. We didn't watch anything. Yeah, so I, I feel like it's a really good challenge for us. And I, she's very much used to not having screens. So she just hasn't been in the car for that length of time before. Right. Usually it's like an hour and a half at a time. Yeah, and sleeping and eating and stopping to go to the bathroom and <laughs> <laughs> singing. We did a lot of singing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just remember it was really fun. There was just plenty to do for some reason. Who knows? I probably just don't remember the boring parts. Do you guys do no TV every other month? Yes. Wow. That is impressive. For us, there are people in my minimalist group that don't own a TV. So I feel like we probably watch a lot of TV compared to them. Right. Totally. (laughs) It's all relative. Yeah, it is. It is. And then when you have your TV month, you still don't watch it every day. No. It would be maybe two or three nights a week we would watch it for our TV month. Mm-hmm. And that would be one episode or half a movie. We don't often sit down and watch a full movie yeah. all the way through. It's a bit long. Yeah. It is long. I agree. I can't really watch a whole movie anymore. Yeah. I also break it up into two, two nights or whatever. Unless I'm, watching- I'm not the only one who does that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's weird. But I have a friend that I watch. We watch a movie on Zoom like once a week. And when I'm with him, I'll watch the whole thing. But normally... I don't like to. It's too much. And now movies are longer than when I was younger. When I was growing up, movies were always 90 minutes, no matter what. And now they're two hours. So it's a long time. It is is a really long time. And then what about computer screens? I'm on my computer pretty much every day. Yeah. Um, And yeah, apart from that, we wouldn't really be like, I don't play any games or anything on my computer. Same with my husband. He uses his for his work or writing his novels. Yeah. And Maddie, my daughter, wouldn't know what to do with a computer at this point. Wow. Because, you know, a lot of kids her age. Yeah. Yeah. I've had kids grab at my phone and then I turn around and five minutes later, there's like all these new games on my, like, how did they even do that? And they're playing them. It's probably more than five minutes. It's crazy. (laughs) She likes to, she would type her name on my computer and she'll take selfies on my phone, but that's it. Okay. She takes selfies. Yeah. Or I'll find lots of photos of me in very unflattering positions. It would (laughs) just be like 50 of me in the kitchen mid doing something. (laughs) That's really cute. So she does. She uses your phone periodically. 
Yeah, like she'll pick it up and, and put it on camera and just take a, a bunch of photos, but she doesn't know how to get in or she she wouldn't know that there are games that you could download on there. Right. Because my phone is boring. It's on black and white. I've put my iPhone, there's a setting that you can put it on black and white. And I find that it really helps decrease social media usage. Because it's really boring to scroll. I'm going to look for that. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. So are you on no social media or you're on social media for work? Yeah, I'm on social media for work in my minimalist group. But apart from those, I would love to just not be on it at all. Wow. But are you? I have business accounts, but I don't use it for personal reasons. So if I didn't have a business and I didn't have my minimalist group, I would just delete all my accounts. Oh, I see. So you're not like doom scrolling Twitter or anything? No, I don't have Twitter. (laughs) And I'm the, the strange person that just never checks the news. So I would have no idea what's going on. Yeah. I used to do that. I did that for five years. Yeah. I had no idea what was going on. But what I found is if it was something major, people told me. Yeah, exactly. That's what I, that's what I find. People say, oh, but you wouldn't know if we're going into lockdown. And we went into lockdown and I had three people call me to say, just letting you know we're going to lockdown. Oh, cool. Thanks. <laughs> because the public service in Australia, I used to have to read the news every morning to find out what was going on in politics. And oh. especially working in law enforcement, it was you were reading every day all what would happen overnight, the homicides and the suicides oh. and everything. You actually train your brain to look for that content after a while. So now I've trained my brain the opposite to just look for the good and reading the news doesn't fit with that. Yeah, that's great. That's positive. So you stay positive. Yeah. So where do you see yourself like in, in the future going forward? I really want to use my business, any profits that I get from my business. I actually want to start buying blocks of land and rehabilitating them. You know, land that has been destroyed from farming and start replanting on those. So that's my big goal is to just start buying lots and lots of blocks of land and and yeah, rehabilitating them. And would you do that yourself or would you hire people or start a nonprofit? Initially myself, But I would probably like to have, and with my husband's building skills, to build a couple of little homes on them and potentially have people who are transitioning out of work who have significant mental health that they could go and stay there and they could help me plant the trees and just give them a bit of a breather to figure out what they want to do and give them something to keep them busy but also productive and in nature as a bit of a healing spot. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah, be really cool. Really yeah. looking forward to it. Yeah. And it'd be easier if it was close to where you live so you wouldn't have to travel too far. Yeah. And there's land available to do that? There, well, in a year or just under a year, we're actually moving. So where we're moving to, there's more opportunities to do that. Because we're in a city at the moment, but we're actually moving to what's called the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. Oh, nice. And it sounds like it's sunny. It is. Sunny <laughs> and on the beach. <laughs> Oh, cool. And are you going to downsize further? Or are you going to stay in a two bedroom? So we have bought a house up there already, which is a little bit smaller than what we're currently in. So we're in a house at the moment during COVID, the two bedroom became too small. So my husband started working from home. I started working from home. And then my mom was there looking after my daughter. So we're all confined to the apartment. We didn't have any grass for her to run around in during lockdown. So we moved into a house during COVID. I was working in my bedroom at this little tiny desk. And then my husband with his three computer screens, I don't know why anyone needs three, at the kitchen table. And then my daughter would be right next to him in her play space doing painting with my mom. So it was a bit too intense. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. 
my friend that I watch movies with, he also has three computer screens. So maybe it's just the guy thing. I don't know. But he's an IT guy. So yeah. Yeah. He says it's it's a lot easier to do his work when he's got because he writes insurance reports so he can see all the damage and then the quotes oh. and do it all up. But that was our kitchen table. We lost our kitchen table to the three screens. <laughs> That's so funny. And now you have like how many bedrooms? Now we're in four. So I've got my office. My husband's got an oh, office, nice. our bedroom, and then my daughter's bedroom. Oh, that's nice. And then the new place? Okay. It would be the same. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to have offices if you can. Yeah. It certainly helps my productivity to be able to have my own space. And because I'm coaching clients and it, yeah. the, the conversations are confidential, right. it doesn't make sense for my husband and I to share an office. Yeah. I wouldn't be comfortable with that. My clients would see my husband yeah. in the background, probably on his phone calls. Yeah, that so it's good. just... Yeah, it's just not conducive um, to us being able to be productive. So in terms of adjusting to the house, it is a lot bigger. The cleaning takes longer, but the benefits do outweigh the negatives. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a pretty big living room and I have everything in the living room. So my, my couch, TV, it's my workspace. It was my workout space and yeah. it's my dining room for eating, but it works because it's big enough. Yep. Yeah. What would you tell others who also are aspiring to become minimalist and move toward that? I would tell them to surround themselves with people who are doing things completely different to you. That's the best way we can have a perspective shift is by seeing other people doing things differently. And in my minimalist group, I have one lady who house sits, doesn't own a house. All of her stuff fits in her car and she just house sits and travels around, travels locally at the moment. But prior to COVID, she would just travel overseas. She would just constantly travel. That's not necessarily for me, but it shows me that it can be done. So yeah, really looking at who you're surrounding yourself with and whether you can start finding groups like a minimalist group that thinks differently and that can show you to how to do things differently, that it can work and just build your confidence. I'm now in the position that I get to show other people that it is possible. People new to minimalism, they come along and we can inspire one another, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the support, like having the support of a yeah. group of people that are already where you want to be, there's the saying acting as if before mm-hmm. you actually get there. And, and that c- kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. I always hear from my members that it's so refreshing to come to a space where people share very similar values to you. When I started my minimalist journaling, it felt no one really understood. No one necessarily agreed. They thought I was depriving my daughter. So to be able to connect with other people that like, yeah, I completely get that. I do that too. It was really comforting Uh and really, yeah, it's a very supportive community. And it's to have actually a group of people who know what they value very specifically and it's very similar to yours. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I've been hitting my head against like the idea just that friendship and relationship for me, it's come to down to the most important thing is having the same values. Mm-hmm. Like just as simple as that. And then if you could go back in time and tell your younger self a piece of advice now, what would that be? I would tell my younger self to find a mentor that really prompts me to connect with who I was. I often feel like I've spent so much of my life undoing a lot of the decisions that I made because I felt that was the path that I needed to take. And if I had someone interject at a younger level to be like, no, what is it that you actually want to do? What is it that you value? I, I think I would have been on a 
a very different path. I do think I went down the path that I did for a reason. So I don't regret any of that, but I would love um, for young kids to have somebody who just encourages them. You don't have to be a particular person. You can be yourself and that's okay. And that's absolutely what I want for my daughter is to keep as much of the essence of her as we can as she grows up so she connects with that. I've heard it explained as kids start as a beautiful painting and then slowly over time and what the community tells them and the bullying, it gets painted over. And then minimalism is a tool that you just scrub back that paint layer by layer as you undo everything and unbecome everything that you thought you were meant to become until that painting is back to its original condition. I like that. That's a good visual. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) And then where can people find you? I am on Facebook under Rebecca Blair Coaching. And I also am happy to connect on my personal page, which is Rebecca Blair. I love meeting new like-minded people who are on, you know, at very different points along their journey. So that's where people can find me. Okay. And no Instagram? I am currently taking a break from Instagram. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> I am on Instagram under Rebecca Blair, but I am currently not looking at it. And there's a notice on there that says I don't look at it. Oh, that's so funny. And why is that? Is that just part of your minimalist journey right now? Yeah. So this month I'm really focusing on building my career transition program for men. So I'm channeling all of my energy in that because I recently did a survey and I found a lot of people are walking a very thin line with suicide. So I really want all of my energy to go into that program to get people out at this point. I'm just turning my attention off Instagram to really help those people. Wow. And they need it. Yeah. That's a really hard place to be because when you're there, you can't ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad you're doing that work. That's amazing. Yeah, it's very much aligned with me, my experiences, and I love to help people and I've got the background in psychology, so I can help from all different angles and I'm a big connector of people, connecting to recruiters and building networks, building financial resilience, all of that, just wraparound services. Yeah, that's great. And is there anything else that I didn't ask that you wanted to say? One of my business coaches said to me, businesses fail because people don't do the things they need to do because they're not brave enough. So I started a brave jar and I get a like a gem for every time I do something out of my comfort zone. And so often I have to do it rather than make sure it's perfect. So it Aww. actually gets out there. So your brave jar is filled with like little things and then... So- Okay, here I can see it. So I've got, so at the beginning of the year, I counted out a, so it's a colored pebble. Yeah. For every work day of the year. And I wanted to do something outside my comfort zone to grow and also to grow in business for each work day of the year. And so I work three days, so I get two weekdays with my daughter. And I'm currently averaging about five pebbles a week by being out of my comfort zone and focusing on the greater purpose than focusing on my own discomfort. Nice. And that counts for anything. Yeah. Anything I'm really nervous about. Okay. And the, the thing I didn't really take into account when I came up with the idea was that when you do something enough, it doesn't make you nervous anymore. <laughs> so you have to keep upskilling. <laughs> totally true. <laughs> You have to keep up leveling. Facebook videos used to make me really nervous. Now I don't mind them. Like I've got to find something scarier. Okay, Facebook Live. <laughs> oh, that's cute. That's great. I love that. Mm. It's like the gold stars or whatever. It's a little reward. 
Yeah. And our, our animal, like primitive brain doesn't like us stepping outside of our comfort zone because it thinks we're going to die, which of course I'm not going to die from a Facebook video, but that's, it feels that response. So the pebble is actually a really good way. It also likes order and collecting. So it almost appeases the primitive brain by saying, here's a pebble. You did something brave. It's okay. Cool. I love it. See, that was an extra thing to tell people that I didn't ask. That was very (laughs) random though. I know, it's perfect. This was great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Lovely to chat with you. You too. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, I'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe, leave a five-star rating or review, or share it with a friend who would find value from this episode. You can find more information about AUA at anunknownadventure.com. I do try to leave extensive show notes here under the podcast and on the website. The show notes include links to everything that's been discussed here today, plus shortened transcripts for some guests, their bios, and photo. My main goal is to encourage you to achieve your dreams. So if you have any questions, please DM me on Instagram at anunknownadventure. And whether you do or you don't, following me there would be amazing. Remember to keep dreaming big because your adventure awaits and I would love to hear about it. Thanks so much and have a great day.